We're going to be continuing our series in Genesis um, this morning, so Ben's going to come and proclaim God's Word in a few minutes. But if you've got your Bible, you turn to Genesis, first book of the Bible, it's chapter 29. Genesis 29, I'm going to start reading at verse 31. Sorry, verse, Genesis chapter 29, verses 31. I'm going to read through to verse 24 of chapter 30. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called him Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son. And said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name is called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son. And said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children, or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her, so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me, and has also heard my voice, and give me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again, and bore Jacob a second son. Then Jacob said, sorry, then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and have prevailed. So she called his name Nephtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy, for to be called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field. And brought them in to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you've taken my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come with me, for I have hired you for my son's mandrakes. So she lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and he conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages, because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me, because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. 
Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dina. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son, and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Amen. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is indeed sharp in the two-edged sword. We thank you that the word is real and speaks to each one of us. We pray now as Ben comes to speak to us, give us hearts ready to listen, and Lord, not just to listen, but to act. Give Ben the words to say to each one of us now this morning that can speak to us in each of our different situations. We praise things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, good morning, Nidri. It's a joy to be with you this morning, a joy to be able to open God's word with you. Um, let us get into it, shall we? Now, if you were to tell me that what I just read, or what we just read, sorry, was the script for next week's EastEnders episode, I probably would have believed you. This story is more like something we would imagine to see on EastEnders than something we would imagine to see and read in the Bible. We would imagine that the people mentioned in the Bible would be squeaky clean. Yet here we are in Genesis 30, with Jacob's dysfunctional family on full display, warts and all. You see, the Bible, it never sugarcoats reality. It never hides the truth of what we as humans and God's people can experience. Jacob's family is one of many dysfunctional families we have come across in our time in Genesis. We've seen the first family in Adam and Eve, then Noah's family, Lot's, Abraham's, Isaac's, and now we are seeing the beginnings of Jacob's family, which arguably is probably the most dysfunctional of them all. Now last week we got a taste of how Jacob's family began with Jacob's disastrous marriage to two sisters in Rachel and Leah, and how he'd been cheated by his uncle Laban into marrying Leah, who Jacob didn't want, and then into working for another seven years to marry Rachel, who Jacob wanted in the first place. And it is this second lot of seven years that Genesis 30 takes place in. These are the first seven years of a highly dysfunctional family. A family that will indeed create many more episodes of EastEnders. A family that will be at odds with one another, hate one another, betray one another, hurt one another, and use one another. Yet they will be used by the Lord to bring about his good plan. Before we get ahead of ourselves, let's look together at chapter 30. And we'll do this by focusing on the two women in this story, the two main women anyway, Rachel and Leah. Okay, the first we will focus on will be Rachel. Rachel the favorite, we will call her. Now Rachel, as we learn from chapter 29, was a woman who was young and beautiful. She was a hard-working shepherdess. She had everything going for her. And Jacob, with ease, wanted her to be his wife. It all seemed like it would be well with them too, and the family they would create would be a beautiful one. Yet as we learn very quickly in the story in verse 31, Rachel was barren. She was unable 
to bear children. And as chapter 30 unfolds, we can see it was Rachel's great desire to have children of her own. She longed for them. Now, during the first four years or so of her marriage to Jacob, her sister Leah bore four sons in quick succession and in turn bore three more children afterwards. This would have pained Rachel to watch as the sister she fought with, the one Jacob didn't want, bore one child after another, after another, after another, and she still, day after day, year after year, bore none. Questions would have arisen in her mind. Why can I not bear children? Why me? Why should my sister be able to and not me? I'm the chosen wife. She isn't. And feelings of shame, sorrow, heartache, loss, pain, anguish, and despair would have risen in her heart. She was a hurting, heartbroken woman, driven not only to feelings of deep despair, but also to feelings of envy and jealousy towards her son-producing sister. She envied her sister's abilities to bear children and watched on with jealousy as Leah's family grew and hers, it seemed, didn't. And in her envy and growing desperation, she cries out to Jacob. We have that cry in verse 1. Give me children or I shall die. In other words, like I can't live without breath, I can't live without children. So give them to me. Such was her desire to have children. Her situation is a sad and heart-wrenching one. And it's sadly a situation that some here may know too well. Maybe you yourself here today look at Rachel's situation and you see your own. You know the feelings all too well. You've asked the same questions many times. You've spoken out in desperation more times than you can count. And maybe you've watched on in jealousy and envy as you attend baby showers, children's birthdays, and see the family's Instagram and Facebook posts longing, yearning for a child of your own. Again, the Bible never hides the reality of what we may experience in this life. But the Bible, very thankfully and graciously, never hides the reality of where God is in the midst of the experiences we may have. Now, it is said that elephants don't forget. Now, they may have a very good memory, but humans and animals alike are weak and we do forget. God, on the other hand, oh, he never forgets. He never forgets. Rachel's situation proves that God has not and never will forget his people. That includes you. Verse 22 says that God remembered Rachel. Now that is not to say that he ever forgot her. God is not like some old man who enters a room 
and forgets why he went in the room in the first place. He's not like an old man who forgets where he put his glasses only to find them on his head. No. He's not somehow misplaced you. He's not somehow forgot what he was doing. You haven't slipped his mind. He remembers you. He never forgets you. He always remembers his people. And as a result, he always responds to his people. For in verse 22, after God remembers, we do see God act. And that seems to be a running theme. Whenever you see God remembered, he always acts. And he acted for Rachel in the opening of her womb. Now, I I cannot stand here and tell you who desire children that God will respond and act by giving you children. But I can say this with assurance, that whenever God responds and acts towards his people, it is never in a harsh, unkind, or uncompassionate way. Isaiah 42 verse 3 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not extinguish. And as Craig just read earlier for us, Psalm 145, verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. He's always so kind. God is. He's always kind. He's always full of compassion He is always immensely gracious. He is always full to the brim with care for you. He is always your loving God, your loving Father and closest friend. He always is. Our situations and circumstances and experience will never change those hard truths. Yet sadly, we do easily forget this, don't we? We forget the God we have. And instead, dwell on what we don't have, responding like Rachel, with envy and jealousy towards those that have what we desire. Envy is an easy hole to fall into, and a hard one to get out of. It's a lonely place, a despairing place, a reality-crushing place, a place where discontentment and bitterness grow. Rachel fell into it, and maybe so have you. But it's never a right response. It's never a helpful response. It is indeed a sinful response. Rather, our response should be a prayerful reliance on the Lord, a prayerful reliance on the Lord. Just like Rachel went to Jacob in her desperation, we also have someone and somewhere to go to, and that is to the Lord upon his throne of grace in prayer. He will always respond to us, again, kindly, not in anger like Jacob. He will always hear us, To the point that even when prayer is absent, like in this story, there's no prayer here. 
Yet he still hears our moans, our groans and cries. But we can go to him, and we should go to him. We should go to him with all our emotions, anxieties, pain, anguish, sorrow. As 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all, not some, all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The Lord wants to hear from you today. He wants to hear you more than you want to speak to him. He is willing to carry your anxieties, emotions, and sorrows, and at the same time carry you through the experiences you face. As Deuteronomy 33 verse 27 says, underneath are his everlasting arms. It was true for Rachel, and it's true for you. And this was also true for Leah. And she's the second person we're going to look at together. Leah the unloved, we will call her. Now Leah, in the nicest possible way, was the ugly sister. It is said in chapter 29 that her eyes were dim, and that's all we know. She was not beautiful like her sister. She most likely didn't do much in the way of work because of her weak sight. She was a nobody living in the shadow of her younger, more beautiful, more prominent sister. She didn't have much, if anything, going for her. And then, as we saw last week, Jacob came along, and a plan was hatched between Laban and Leah that they would trick Jacob into marrying Leah. We don't know what drove Leah to agree, but maybe with this marriage to Jacob, she thought, finally I could have someone to love me. She could finally get out of her sister's shadow and create a wonderful life with this Jacob. But sadly, this dream, it never became a reality. The love she dreamed she would have from Jacob was given to her sister, Rachel. Rachel was the favorite and Leah was loved less which is what is meant by Leah was hated. It just simply means Leah was loved less. Leah watched on as her sister had all the attention, all the attachment, and all the love of Jacob that she desired as she moved more into the background. Yet the Lord in his grace blessed Leah and made her fruitful in that she bore seven children in the space of nearly seven years. Surely with these many children, Jacob would in turn love Leah more than Rachel, who bore none. Surely she would regain her husband that was hers first. Surely, she thought. And she never did. Jacob never loved Leah like she dreamed. His heart was always on Rachel. Leah's situation was also a sad and heartbreaking one. She was unloved, disregarded, lonely, pushed to the side by Jacob, used by her father, and despised by her sister. Now maybe today, like Leah, you also feel unloved, disregarded, lonely, 
push to the side. You watch as husbands love their wives and wives love their husbands and wonder, where's your love? Where is the one to love you and care for you? Where even are the friends to enjoy life together? Where is the love that I seek? The feeling of being unloved is one that can drive the strongest to tears, sorrow, anger, depression, and emptiness. It is a feeling none of us crave, yet many of us experience like Leah. Yet just like God was involved in Rachel's experience, so is God involved in Leah's. In verse 31, it says that the Lord saw Leah. And in verse 17, it says that God listened to Leah. Now, the Lord seeing and the Lord hearing Leah is the Lord's love for her in action. Just like the Lord heard Rachel, so did he hear Leah. But not only that, for the Lord also saw Leah as he sees you. He's not somehow turned a blind eye to your situation. He's not somehow shut his eyes wishing you away. No, he sees you. He sees your thoughts. He sees your heart's desires. He sees your emotions and feelings. He sees your situation and he knows. He he knows. He knows you and what you are experiencing better than you even know yourself, better than anyone knows. He sees you and he knows you. Now, whenever I imagine the Lord seeing me, I always imagine him far away up in heaven, sitting on his throne, peering down to earth, to little old me, I gain comfort from seeing him seeing me, and yet my imagination causes me to lose heart in that God seems so far away. In my imagination, he's not close to me. But thankfully, this is not reality. For the Lord does not simply see from far away, but from right up close. You see, Leah was a lonely woman surrounded by people who did not love her as she dreamed, yet was surrounded by a very present God who loved her beyond her wildest dreams. And the same is true for you in your unloved, broken-hearted situation. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near, not far away, not a distance off, near to the brokenhearted. And Psalm 46, 1 says, God is a very present help in times of trouble. That means he is not somehow absent. He's not somehow far away. In fact, I would argue that when he feels the most far away, he is in fact the most closest. He does not leave you alone to face the experiences and situations you are in. But he, in his love, draws near to you when you feel unloved. 
He remembers and regards you when you feel disregarded. He never pushes you to the side, but draws you nearer to his side. The Lord really does love and care for his people. That's you, church. His love and care for you is something we just can't even fathom. It's so great. His love and care for you is like an ocean. That if you were to sail across it, you'd never find the end. It's boundless. And if you were to swim down deeper and deeper and deeper into the ocean of his care and love, you wouldn't find the bottom for it's bottomless. And yet, the crazy thing is, the ocean of his care and love for you, it overflows. Such is the vastness and greatness of his care and love for his people in every situation we experience. Again, our situations and experiences do not change that hard truth. For the Lord is always near. The Lord always cares. The Lord always sees. The Lord always knows. The Lord never forgets. The Lord always responds kindly. And the Lord is always at work, bringing about his good plan for his people. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that God only works in dysfunctional families. He only works in dysfunctional families. For all families are dysfunctional. And God only works with sinful people. He only does. Because we are all sinners. Now as we go on in Genesis, we'll see more of this family's brokenness and dysfunctionality. Yet we will also see more of God's good plan for this family and his people unfold. You see, if you were to look at this family, you may say it looked a, a wee bit like this, this image up there. You may say it looked like that. You may say it looks messy and dysfunctional beyond belief. And you'd be right, it was. I think that picture very well summarizes Jacob's family. can even summarize our own. Messy, dysfunctional. Yet if I show an image of the other side, you will see how in the midst of the mess and the dysfunctionality, a glorious image is seen. You see, God works in and amongst the messy, using the threads of our experiences and situations to create a good plan for his people, including you. For the Lord will bring about his good plan for you in and amongst the dysfunctionality. The Lord's got it. He's got it. He's got you. He's got your future. He's got your present. He's got your past. He's got it. As we will continue to see, he's also got Jacob's family. As he brings this family together and 
builds it up to be a godly family from which God's people will come. And later on in the Bible story, as God's plan unfolds, we see that from this family will come Jesus. We will be able to trace his lineage back to Jacob and even layer the unloved through their son, Judah. You see, God came down to earth in the person of Jesus. He came close. He became part of a dysfunctional, sinful family, lived amongst dysfunctional, sinful people, and also lived for dysfunctional, sinful people to the point that he even died for dysfunctional, sinful people. Christ came into the dysfunctional mess of our world and came to save dysfunctional sinners who in their sin are unable to live up to God's perfect standard. So Jesus did it for us. He lived the perfect life we could not live. He died the death we deserved, bearing our sin and bearing God's Wrath, which was to be our punishment for sin that we would experience for eternity in hell. And then he rose three days later, having victory over sin, death, and hell, and ascended to heaven where he waits to come again to judge and make all things new. You see, that's the end of God's good plan for his people. His good plan will have its end with a new creation where all the mess, all the brokenness, all the sin is done away with, gone, never to be seen again. Where we will live with God forever seeing his face with him in perfection. Now the question is, will you be part of it? Will you be part of it? Will you join him forever in the new creation? For the only way to join him is through Jesus. And a trust in him that what he has done is enough to get you to heaven and the new creation and to save you, plus repentance from sin, which is a turning away from sin. So if you haven't trusted in Jesus and repented of your sins, then do it not tomorrow, today. It is that simple. There is nothing messy and dysfunctional about the gospel. Now our lives may be messy and dysfunctional, but in the midst of it, the Lord is always near us. He always sees us. He always hears us. He never forgets us. He always responds with kindness. He loves his people with an immeasurable love and his good plan will always be done. Therefore, in light of this, as I end, I quote the words of Leah 
who said in an explanation of Judah's name, Jesus' ancestor, this time I will praise the Lord. Will you, in the midst of your experiences and situations, will you this time praise the Lord with me in song? Will you this week praise the Lord in prayer? Will you praise the Lord with the life you live? This time, today, this week, will you praise the Lord?